Well, good morning. Thomas and Libby are enjoying Lake Tahoe uh, this week, and little Lincoln got to enjoy a swimming pool for the first time yesterday, and they forgot their phone in their uh, uh, hotel room. Nothing was posted on Facebook, just uh, just to let you know. Uh, but they've uh, they've been having a good time, and uh, they're excited about getting away, getting refreshed, and then being able to dive in for what the Lord has in store this next school year. Illustrations. I'm one of those who uh, I like a good story, and they're an amazing tool for learning. Jesus was a master when it came to presenting truths uh, using the examples of everyday life. And he did that so that his audience could easily visualize and understand the principles that he was trying to teach. For example, where probably one of the more famous stories uh, occurred when a lawyer was challenging Jesus and he asked the question, who is my neighbor? If you remember, Jesus answered with a story. And he, he taught about a man who left Jerusalem heading to Jericho. And the reason why most people uh, were familiar with that story is uh, most people have been to Jerusalem for one of the holy days. And the road to Jericho was infamous for being incredibly treacherous. It was a single road along the side of a completely deserted, desert-type uh, area. It was a thin road, sheer mountainside. One way in, one way out. And it was a main place where uh, the Levites and the priests would live. And so when they would do their uh, duties in the temple, they would go into Jerusalem and then they would head home. Uh, to Jericho. Jericho was a city that was known for having many priests and Levites. Well, the story goes that there was this man that uh, uh, was robbed. So if you can imagine, a gentleman had just come from Jerusalem uh, and he's heading to Jericho. More than likely, we don't know, it's not said in the story, but he probably went to a church service. He went to the, he went to the temple and lo and behold, he's robbed. He's mugged and he's left for dead. And wouldn't you know it, he must have been excited. Half awake, half conscious. Here comes a Levite, one of the spiritual leaders from the temple. At the service, he probably just left. He walks around him, goes on by. Then a priest, the priest had the privilege of being able to go into the temple. Uh, Not on the outside, they actually got to go in. Of course, one of my own countrymen, a spiritual leader. He walks on by. And Jesus said a Samaritan came walking by. For the typical Jew, they would call him a half-breed. Someone who is half-Jewish and half-something else, a Syrian, some other nationality. They weren't purebreds. They were the other guys. And they also didn't worship God in the way that they did. They were outcasts. And lo and behold, this Samaritan bandages up the wounds, puts him on his horse, his donkey, takes him to Jericho, 
pays the innkeeper for any of the, the food and care that's needed while he leaves and uh, takes off. And Jesus asked the question to the lawyer, so who was his neighbor? You can imagine with that incredible story, Jesus, through an illustration, completely changed the definition. See, for a typical Jew, a neighbor was someone who was just like you, who believed just like you, and it's someone you knew who was nearby. That was my neighbor. So if I'm to love my neighbor, it's someone I already know, and he's someone just like me. And Jesus threw a wrench into that definition through an illustration. He said, no, your neighbor could be a stranger, actually a Samaritan, someone in need, and you could care for them. And that's why he asked the lawyer, who was that man who was robbed? Who was his neighbor? And he rightly answered, the Samaritan. That's the power of a good illustration. And that's what I want to do today, is I've been going through uh, a series in James chapter 3, uh, talking about who is wise and understanding. It's the question of who really is a believer uh, and living the Christian life. Because James is writing to Jews who've been scattered, dispersed out of Jerusalem. They're in respective churches. And in those churches, he's challenging people who are in those churches who might be pretenders. In other words, they attend, but they've really not sold out to Jesus. They're going through the motions. There are people in the church thinking that they're Christians, but they're not. And James is showing through this passage in James 3 certain principles by which a person should evaluate himself on whether he truly is wise and understanding or he's a pretender. And if you would, uh, if you could just open up to James 3, we'll quickly uh, review that passage. And then what I want to do today is look at three illustrations in Scripture that actually show you that what James taught here was actually illustrated all throughout Scripture. But I'm just going to look at three examples uh, today. If you look at James 3, verse 13... Uh, by the way, if you didn't get a, a bulletin that has the sermon outline, feel free to raise your hand and uh, we'll get one of those to you uh, because it'll help you. Uh, we're going to be jumping around a little bit today uh, and uh, that will be a resource that will be helpful. James 3, verse 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
So to summarize what we covered in two two messages, and you can go back and uh, go online and and uh, listen to those if you're interested in in uh, what what we covered in the two passages. But today I've just got them summarized for you at the top of the notes. This is what James is saying. Pretenders, my definition is a professing believer in the local church, but he's a pretender. If you are a pretender, according to James, you've secretly embraced earthly, fleshly, and demonic wisdom. You may be going through the motions. You tell people, hey, I believe the Bible, but in your heart, you've adopted and embraced the wisdom of the world. So what will happen when that occurs? That's the next step. It will produce a heart motivated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So when that occurs, what happens? Well, the result is disorder. It's rebellion. That's what that means. Insurrection against authority. And every evil thing. So what I want to look at is there's a boatload of examples where this pattern is actually illustrated in Scripture. You could look at Simon the Magi uh, in uh, Acts. You can look at uh, the uh, fellow uh, advisors around Daniel. Uh, you can look at, as a Christian version, they were Christians, but they did the same thing. You can look at the brothers of Joseph. Uh, and their jealousy uh, against him. Uh, there, there's lots of examples. Also in uh, uh, the church in Thessalonica, uh, in how they persecuted uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, what they did and how it happened is exactly what's described here by James. But we're going to look at three. We're going to look at Lucifer, King Herod, and the spiritual leaders of Israel. And what I'm going to show is how Each of the principles that James listed in James 3 are illustrated in these three stories. Let's pray. Precious Father, I ask that as we we look at these examples, Lord, that we would, as Tim said earlier, Lord, we would examine our hearts we would be willing to look you in the eyes that we no longer would pretend. Lord, we would no longer lie, but we would be truthful and acknowledge where we're at. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who, who's gone through the motions, just trying to keep someone happy, Lord, that today they would bow their knee and surrender to you. Lord, that they would go from a pretender to a disciple. Lord, we love you. Use these passages to speak to us. In your son's name, amen. The first example we want to look at is Lucifer. And you may ask yourself, wow, that's kind of an odd example. But think about it. Lucifer was... He was as powerful as you could be in the kingdom, and he was a worshiper of God at one time. And uh, so uh, we're going to look at what happened 
in his life, in the decisions as an angel, now as a demon. And that's why when James says, when you believe demonic wisdom, this is where it's coming from. See, when he says demonic wisdom, it means you're just simply adopting what it is that Satan has done or Lucifer. If you would, we're going to flip through the scriptures a lot today. So you're going to get your Bible out. We're going to do some Bible drills. Uh, turn to Ezekiel 28, going to the Old Testament, going to uh, one of the major prophets, Ezekiel 28, verse 12. And the reason is, is I, I want you to read these passages yourself. I want you to see how uh, these uh, stories illustrate the principles that James has given us in chapter 3. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. In this prophecy that Ezekiel is making, he's actually making it to the king of Tyre. But as we know many times in the Bible, when he's speaking about a particular individual, sometimes he also is prophesying about something else. And it'll, and the reason we know that is the king of Tyre was not in the Garden of Eden. Okay, we, we just know that. That wasn't referring to him. All of a sudden, as a type, the king of Tyre is all of a sudden, he's, he's using the opportunity to speak to, uh, about, uh, Lucifer. Ezekiel 28 verse 12. Son of man, take up lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus, says the Lord God. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald. And the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Now, there's some key points here. We'll, we'll continue in a minute. Keep your finger there. Uh, there's some things that are, that are interesting here. He was one of the cherubim that covered. There were four cherubim that created a square on the four corners. They would have their wings uh, like this. They would make a 90-degree angle, and their, their wings would touch, and then there would be a spinning uh, ball kind of in between them, which would look like a wheel, and then above them was a lapis lazuli uh, platform on which the throne of God was placed. So the cherubim literally were the chariot, the covering of the very throne of God. Can't get any closer than that. He says you were one of the anointed cherubim. Now, he mentions a couple things here that are interesting. One, he says, the workmanship of your settings and your sockets. Well, most commentators see that as uh, a timbrel, a tambourine. Uh, so was he involved in worship as part of uh, his role as a cherubim? And then there's also something, it's, and, and it's only conjecture because it's not specific, 
The other uh, role that's implied here is, does anyone notice anything about the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper? Anybody uh, recognize that? What, what's he describing that you've seen elsewhere? Say it to me. Could be heaven. Well, where's literally those lists in that order? It's the high priest on his breastplate. He has the 12 tribes are represented by 12 stones in uh, 12 rows, three each. And eight of the 12 are listed here. That was on the high priest. What was the job of the high priest in Israel? His job was to take the prayers of the people and offer them uh, to God. So did, did Lucifer have a role, a priestly role? Don't know. But it's interesting that it actually says he was created and covered with those very things that a representative on earth, the high priest, had on his breastplate. Very interesting. Let me continue. Verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. So imagine this scenario that's being described here. Here's a perfect angel, powerful. I, I'm curious, what's with the abundance of trade? Wow, uh, what, what's going on in the uh, angelic realm? Uh, is it, hey, you had to go through me, I'm the customs officer to get to him? Nice, uh, great position. But notice what happened. It's because he became proud. Rather than as a priest, what does a priest do? I take your prayers, possibly from the angels, right? We see that in heaven. Angels are praising him all the time. And I represent them to God. But rather I say, hey, I'll take those myself. That's kind of cool. I'll take the praise. I'd like to take control. I, I'd like to be in charge. All of a sudden, because he's thinking contrary to the will of God, Notice what it says in 17, you corrupted your wisdom. Corrupted. Flip over, it's close by, Isaiah 14. This is the other passage. Again, it's a prophecy about the king of Babylon, uh, who many would say for sure is a type of uh, Satan, because the horror of Babylon, Babylon itself just historically has been where false religion began, was in Babylon at the Tower of Babel. 
Uh, and so, uh, a prophecy is being made here by Isaiah to the king of Babylon, but all of a sudden he starts saying things that aren't relevant to the king. Specifically, look at verse 12 of Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. See, that, that king, king Babylon, that doesn't qualify. But, but here the word star of the morning, the King James is the only translation that has ever done it. But they translate that as, O Lucifer. That's where the name Lucifer comes from, is the King James translated star of the morning, Lucifer, which just simply means bearer of light. And isn't that what's said later in Scripture? He's an angel of light, uh, masquerading as an angel of light. But see, originally he was. He was an angel. He was a spectacular, beautiful, powerful he was the son of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations. Why? Here it is. This is in a, a nutshell right here. Verse 13. But you said in your heart, five I wills. When your children say this to you, it's time to get help. Okay. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. By the way, all throughout Scripture, the stars, when it says the heavenly host, the same term in the Hebrew that refers to the stars, the heavenly host, is the exact same Hebrew word that says the angels are the army of God. It's the same word. And so that's why when you have uh, someone who worships Lucifer or Satan and he's a fallen star, they have an upside down star or a, a, a Baphomet that they, they wear. See, it's a star upside down or falling. That, that's, that's the biblical implication. I will raise, I will ascend to heaven. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Wow. So if you want to know what demonic wisdom is, you just saw it. I, I, I. See, because beforehand it was you. You, Lord, I worship you. I give you praise. You created me. And all of a sudden it became I. I will. Not could I please. I will. Flip over to Revelation chapter 12, all the way to the end of your Bible. So what we first started with was we have Lucifer who's in heaven. He's created perfect. He's one of the four cherubim that are covering, actually guarding and protecting. The word covering meant to guard and protect the throne, much less to be kind of the, the when we see in Ezekiel uh, 1, they actually move left, right, up, down. And that's why when they say the chariot of God, it literally was a spinning spinning wheel inside these uh, four cherubim uh, and, and the throne is on top. So that it literally would look like a chariot. Uh, so he's perfect. Literally one of the most powerful creations ever that God has created. And all of a sudden, because of his pride, he turns. And that's the beginning of demonic wisdom. Me. Worship me. See, 
I want to be the throne. Why? I want to be in charge. I want to be worshipped. I want to call the shots. That's demonic wisdom. Revelation 12, verse 3. But Satan wasn't happy to rebel on his own. Misery loves company. Look at uh, verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. That's another word of saying Satan. Having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Here's an amazing picture that gives us the idea that if you were to say all the angels created in heaven, most commentators would say that the stars of heaven, referring to all the angels that were created, Satan took a third of them with him. He had a rebellion and he had a few homies that went with him. And we're in this together. So one third are with uh, uh, Lucifer, now Satan. And that's why angels who have fallen with him are now called demons. They're diabolical. They're about division rather than unity. And lo and behold, what does he want to do? This is a picture here of Israel giving birth to a child, which was referring to the Messiah. And what is he there waiting to do as the child is born? wants to kill it. And we're actually going to look at that in just a minute. Uh, that, that, that scenario is from the very beginning. That's always his plan. And so here's the scenario. He becomes proud and he rebels. He takes a third of the angels with him. And then it says that he was thrown to the earth. And lo and behold, who's on the earth? Ah, Adam and Eve. And and so, again, there's questions on, uh, was Lucifer in the garden beforehand, before the fall, or was he there because of after the fall? A lot of questions there uh, that, that are not understood. It's not clear. But lo and behold, Satan is there, and what's his form? How does he appear to Eve? It's a serpent. And that's the picture you'll see all the way throughout Scripture. That's where the dragon comes in. It's just simply a land serpent, a different way of saying it, uh, a snake-like critter. Uh, and so he's there in the garden, and what does he do? He lies to Eve. So notice, what is, again, demonic wisdom? God said, oh, no, he didn't say that's demonic wisdom. That's all it is. Anytime you get someone to believe anything other than what the Bible says, that's demonic wisdom. How did Adam and Eve know what they were to do? God told them, I've made you in my image, male and female. He told them a lot right there that uh, we're having problems with today, don't we? They said, oh no, was it Adam and Steve? Not rather than Adam and Eve. Okay. No, he told them, this is how you're created, and here's your purpose. Adam, you're to rule over the creation. So he gives them counsel in everything. They didn't know who they were and what they were to do until God told them. But Satan says, there's other wisdom I'd like you to consider. And so he says two things to Eve. 
that she would not die if she rebelled against God's authority. Because what did God say? If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That's what he said. Well, Satan comes in and goes, really? Is that true? Satanic wisdom. See, anything that brings doubt to the word of God, satanic wisdom. Hey, I want to do what I want to do. Satanic wisdom. Who is the first one to do that? Satan, I will, I will, I will. It's not, what would you like me to do for your glory, Lord? It's, I will. Anything that's I will, it's of the same same source. But Satan is sneaky. He doesn't tell him. See, here's what the gig is. What he should have told him was, oh, by the way, if you do what I say, I'm now in charge. He didn't tell him that part. He just said, just think. You will be just like God, knowing good and evil. God's holding out on you. I actually have your best interests in mind. Isn't that how it's presented many times? It's actually our best interest. God, God's got these restrictive rules. Not having fun. But what occurred? Because they listen to Satan's wisdom, death, curse. All of us today have to deal with the issue of death because Satan's lie was not true. Flip over to Deuteronomy 32. See, Satan and his demons, you will use any tactic. They'll use lies, deception, murder, uh, fun, uh, temptation, sin. He will do whatever he can to get you to not listen to God and worship him. He'll do anything. If you look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 16, here's a sobering truth that just all of us have to realize today. You know, when you walk up to people on the street and say, are you a Satan worshiper? You know, I I don't get too many takers on that. Every once in a while I've had someone, yeah, actually, how do you know? uh, uh, That's not something you normally people, yeah, I'm a Satan worshiper. But there's a truth in Scripture that we don't like. And that's the problem with the black and white of Scripture is this. Look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 16. They made him jealous with strange gods, referring to Yahweh. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who are not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. The same principles in 1 Corinthians 10.20. Don't turn there, but you can write it down. 1 Corinthians 10.20. This is what the Apostle Paul said. No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Can I just share with you today? If you're worshiping anything other than Jesus Christ alone... You are worshiping Satan. 
That's a very harsh thing to say, but it's true. Isn't that what James was saying? Some of you are not wise. You're not listening to the counsel of Scripture, and your wisdom is not of heaven above, but it is earthly, fleshly, demonic. See, that's that's harsh. That's, ah, Bruce, that's pretty, you're coming pretty strong there. But that's what the Word is saying. That's the level of deception. He doesn't care if you worship Him. He just knows if you don't worship Jesus, you are worshiping Him. Choose your poison. He doesn't care as long as you're drinking poison. That's why James was referring to demonic wisdom. In the future, look what Satan is going to do. What he's doing behind the scenes, he's doing sneakily, he's doing deceptively, he's doing indirectly through people, he's going to do straight up. If you would, turn to Revelation 13, verse 1. I'm going to do a little reading here. We're going to see what it's like. This is coming. God knows it, so it's no surprise, because as you read later in Revelation, Satan loses. But he thinks he's going to win for a period of time. And uh, uh, it's just important that you realize this is where Satan wants to go. And when you say no to Jesus, you're saying yes to him. Do you support this program that I'm just about to read? Is this what you like? Is this what you want? Is this what you desire? Because it's pretty straightforward here. Revelation 13, verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, or crowns. And on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. And his feet were like those of a bear. And his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? But notice it turns ugly in verse 5. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months or three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to not and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue. And nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. See, guys, he, he's been wanting this program for a long time, right? Started with, I will. I'll make my throne up there. I want everybody worshiping me. I don't want to be pan- handing it off uh, to God. I want it stopping here. The program is going to be, woof, the curtain pulled back, and there's going to be no more hiding. But notice there, verse 8, All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written 
from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. In other words, unless you're a Christian, this is what you'll be doing. And uh, at the end of the chapter, it says very clearly, if you don't take the mark of the beast on the right hand or the forehead, because he'll have full control of the economic system, you will die. Because to buy and sell, notice trade, control of trade. Interesting. Is that kind of what he's been about for a while? The abundance of trade. He's going to control the market of the whole world. Buy and sell. But you got to have the mark, right hand, forehead. His number, 666. So what am I trying to say? Satan's story here began early in history, in the beginning. And it's the basis for James' admonition to all pretenders within the church. Lucifer originally guarded the very throne of God. He possibly was involved in worship and priestly duties. But instead he chose, and on your notes there, demonic wisdom. Don't listen to the lies which originated with Satan. We cannot become our own God, and if we rebel against God's word, we will die forever. But he believes it. He believes he's going to live forever. He's going to rule. But what what does Scripture say? What's going to happen to Satan and his minions? It says that God created hell, the lake of fire for them. See, they don't win. They lose. The question is, is do you want to join on that team that's going to be a losing team? See, the lie is, I can rebel against God's word and I will not die. That's the lie he's been telling from day one. It's not true. Selfish ambition. Satan conspired to exalt himself above God and secure worship from every creature. That's been very clear. Bitter jealousy. I don't want God getting the power and the glory. I want it. And in fact, I'm going to kill him. I want to destroy him. Isn't that what he wanted to do with the child that was about to be birthed? He wanted to destroy the child. Even though Lucifer was created beautiful, he was given a prominent position. Even though he was given a possible role in leading worship of God, uh, he was given great economic influence. He still rebelled. And what was the result? Disorder. To obtain his ambition, Satan rebelled against God. He conspired with a third of the angels. There's war. There's war. And what does it say there in Revelation? He's going to make war on the saints. He's coming after those who love God. There's disorder and evil of every kind. That's why 1 John says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. Wow, John, that's, that's harsh. That's harsh. It's the truth. 
So let's look at two other uh, examples in Scripture. In fact, I'll skip one just because of time. Let's skip uh, down to um, the religious leaders. I'll just summarize for King Herod. King Herod, remember when the Magi came and they were saying that, hey, we've seen the star of Jacob that the Messiah has born, and we're here to worship him. And uh, King Herod said, can you tell me where he is? I'd like to worship him. But what did he really want to do? He wanted to kill him. He was a pretender. And uh, so here's a man who uh, is the king, who's the king of over Israel. And just think about it. The Israelites for thousands of years have been waiting for the Messiah. He's finally here. And I can't wait to kill him. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, that's that one in a nutshell. A uh, little bit of jealousy. I don't want that guy around. He might take the throne. I have a little selfish ambition here. I don't care about the Messiah coming and saving the world. What about my throne? It causes problems. And then what did he do? When you talk about disorder, see, when you adopt demonic wisdom, you have selfish ambition. You're willing to do things that are unbelievable. What did he do? To kill Jesus, he had to kill all the male children two years and younger. He had to murder them. That's every evil thing. It's horrific. Let's look at the spiritual shepherds of Israel. They're the ones who've been appointed by God uh, to help the people worship him uh, through the years. And uh, Jesus had an interesting conversation with them. Why don't you turn to Matthew, oh, sorry, John chapter 8. And uh, would like... Uh, for us to read what Jesus had to say to the spiritual leaders who should be righteous, holy men who love God. They love God. They're in the temple every day. They're wearing their priestly robes. Uh, their whole life is committed to the worship in the temple. And yet, look at what Jesus has to say to a small group of Pharisees and Jewish leaders. John chapter 8, verse 31. I'll have to read quickly. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him and he's referring here to the Jewish leaders who are not believing in him. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen from my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. Ooh, ouch. Well, who's his? Who are their daddy? You know, because they're saying, hey, God's our father. Abraham's our, our earthly father. Yahweh's our heavenly father. 
we're all good. We're family. And Jesus is like, mm-mm. Nah. You guys don't even know who your dad is. Look at verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Now, you can imagine. They said they're of Abraham. He said, no, you're not. So now you're offending me. And notice what they said. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come of my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he's a liar and the father of lies. But I speak the truth. You do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the word of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Ah, wow. In a nutshell, on your outline, here's what Jesus said. The Jesus leaders are pretenders. Jesus says that their father is the devil. Whoa, what a conversation. (laughs) He didn't say, I think, maybe, sort of, might be. He said, is, is. You are not of God. You are not of Abraham or his promised seed. He says, you already are doing the deeds of your father, the devil. If God were your father, then you would love Jesus. You're pretenders. You're, pretend, you're the spiritual leaders of Israel. I am the promised Messiah you've been waiting for, and you're wanting to kill me, just like King Herod. What's the demonic wisdom here? Jesus said they would truly be Jesus' disciples if they continued in his word. They have rejected the truth spoken by Jesus, who is speaking what he's heard from God himself. They're not hearing the wisdom of God. And why? Because they're not of God. God is not their father. Selfish ambition. Jesus said that you do the desires of the father, of the father that your father, the devil. Like their father, they want to lie and murder, which is their very nature. Why would, why would they be lying? Why do they want to kill him? Selfish. It's their own ambition. See, because he's claiming to be the king. He's going to be the spiritual ruler. They're members of the Sanhedrin who are in charge of the spiritual life of Israel. And Jesus would be the one, not them. 
bitter jealousy. Uh, don't turn there, but you may want to write Mark 15, verse 9 and 10. You may want to write that down, Mark 15, 9 and 10. The Sanhedrin were absolutely jealous of Jesus. Notice what it says in Mark 15. When Pilate, the Roman governor, remember they had to bring Jesus to him and he had to declare him uh, guilty of um, death because the Jews were unable to declare the death penalty. Only a Roman ruler could do that. And so they were trying to con- they manipulate, coerce him into doing it because they couldn't do it himself. Notice what he says in Mark 15. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Whoa. Envy. Jealousy. We've got to get rid of this guy. The amount of disorder and evil that occurred because of their Satan being their father, adhering to selfish, demonic wisdom, having selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, the amount of disorder that occurred was amazing. You had... uh, They were willing to crucify an innocent man. They were willing to say, His blood be on us and our children. Wow! They put a curse on themselves. Anything to get this guy up to that cross. His blood be on us. They were willing to break all their rules for how uh, uh, a trial was conducted. They did six trials under the cover of darkness. That was illegal in their system. They came with a death penalty which required a 24-hour waiting period and never to be done on a Sabbath. They broke every rule in the book. They just lied, stealed. They dropped false witnesses. Paid them. Every kind of evil you could imagine in the name of we're spiritual leaders trying to protect our people. What's the purpose of this morning? James 3 is saying this. Even if you regularly attend church, should you secretly reject Jesus while you publicly pretend that you're a follower of him? What has happened is you have chosen demonic wisdom, which will result in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, which will cause instability, rebellion, and every kind of evil in your life and around you. That's why James said in verse 14 of chapter 3, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. Speak the truth to yourself. Repent. Let me close with this. From the Garden of Eden with its two trees, one allowed, one forbidden, to the eternal destiny of the human being in heaven, or in hell, the Bible sets forth two and only two ways, God's way and all other ways. Accordingly, people are either saved or lost. 
They belong to God's people or the world. There is Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing, or Ebal, the Mount of Cursing. There is the narrow way and the wide way. One leads to eternal life, the other to eternal destruction. There are those who are against and those who are with us. There are those who are within the kingdom and those who are outside the kingdom. There is life and death, truth, falsehood, good, bad, light, darkness, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, love, hatred, spiritual wisdom, the wisdom of the world. And Christ is said to be the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by Him. Guys, it's it's either or, not both and. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so grateful that you're our Father and that you give us wisdom through your written word. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, when you indwell us, you give us the ability to to bear righteous fruit that pleases you and brings righteousness and peace. But Lord, I pray for those who may be here this morning who have who have secretly rejected you. And they may not know it, but they have chosen their father, the devil. And at this point, they're following demonic wisdom. And Lord, it's causing them to struggle with a heart of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. And Lord, the, the fruit that they're beginning to reap is disorder and evil of every kind. Lord, I pray that today, today would be the day to bow the knee, to no longer lie to oneself and to others, but to declare that you are king. And they want to worship you with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, move today for your glory in your son's name. Amen.